what are the links between jazz and literature? How does improvisation work? And how has jazz been interpreted around the world? Bernardo Moreira is one of the most active Portuguese double bassists. He has performed as a guest soloist with Gulbenkian, Metropolitan de Lisboa, and Nacional do Porto orchestras, and gained prominence for his collaborations with international artists, including the legendary Benny Colson, Freddie Hubbard, Wayne Shorter, Art Farmer, and Kenny Wheeler. He's a regular collaborator with many jazz musicians in Portugal, participating in formations such as the Maria Joao and the Mario Lequino Trio and singer Cristina Branco. In 2021, he released Entre Predes, and in 2022, he led Cantinas de Man and Sil. Bernardo Moreira, welcome to The Creative Process. It's a big pleasure. Thank you for having me. And you're at the moment in Bogota. You're in the middle of your tour. You come from Portugal and a long line of musicians. It's really in your blood. You know, were you even aware of when you first met music or it was always there within you? It's an excellent question. It's true that me and my brothers, we had at home beautiful cultural environment because my father was not a professional musician. He was really into jazz music and passion about it. And then my mother also as a teacher and a writer, I think we had this environment home that took me and my brother very young. We, we were into music basically because we were always listening to opera or to jazz. Of course, we had our preferences when we were kids, like we, we loved Beatles and Rolling Stones. But then we had always these different approaches because of our mother and father, of course. So everything was influenced us. I mean, when I was like 14, 15, I felt a need to play an instrument. And one thing that helped a lot is the fact that we are four brothers and we start to play music together. And so we had like this small combo happening at home almost every day, every hour. And so I, I understood that it was what I was going to do the rest of my life. And so you play the double bass? Do you play other I've instruments? I play the double bass as a professional musician, and I don't consider myself a piano player, but I, I play a little bit of piano, of course. Every musician should play piano to understand about harmony and to compose or to arrange music. So I play a little bit of piano. Actually, I started to play guitar before the double bass because it was not so easy to get a double bass 40 years ago. And my father was a bass player, an amateur, but he, he never had a bass at home. So uh, first I, I started to play guitar. And it was a big influence in the beginning. But then I found a, a double bass. It was a terrible double bass, but it was enough to start when I was, I think, 16, 17. So today it's, it sounds kind of light to start an instrument. But back then it was not so terrible. Now you have a small double basses that kids like nine, 10 years old, they can start to play. In the 80s, it was impossible to, if you were small, you could not play double bass, basically. With all instruments, they seem to have a personality. It's almost, but with the double bass, you could really see it as a metaphor. It's like our size, you know, and it seems like... Yeah, 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 yeah. How are you drawn to the personality of the double bass and how it's like a dialogue? It's an unwritten language, but, you know, how did you get in step with the double bass and that you knew that was the best way to express yourself? Yeah, it's very hard to explain why you pick an instrument. People say that each instrument has a kind of personality that, in a way, shows the personality of the musician. So it's a combination. The double bass is very discreet and it's an instrument that helps a lot the balance in the band. It gives you the bottom, it gives you structure, gives you some serenity. 
Because if the double bass is there and on time and precise, everything can build around it. And so that kind of secureness, you feel that hold in your shoulders. It's a kind of a thing that you are discovering with time. When I was in love with the sound, I was in love with the shape of the instrument. It's something big and you need to get into it and to feel that it belongs to you. And so I was always passionate about the size, the deep, low sound, you know, discreet, but really important. And it's the heart of, of a band. In a jazz band, the bass is really the heart. It's like, boom, 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 this something don't work, you die because you had a stroke, you know. So that responsibility, I, I was really into taking it. And then it's also can be a very melodic instrument also and very melancholic, that earth and powerful sound that you can get from it, but also in the high notes, it can be very, very romantic, very delicate also. And for me, that mixture of the two elements that seems hard to connect, for me, it's a big challenge. Yes, and that's so nice. It's a complete instrument. There are other instruments that have great virtuosic possibilities, but it's sometimes they don't soar unless they're accompanied. And I feel that with the double bass, that's really something. It is just the heart, but it can also be solo pieces and live on in its own music. And so speaking about bringing in different elements, of course, we're going to be publishing this interview for the Rutledge book that we're doing on literature and jazz. And those two elements really flowed into your creative process and your creative upbringing in the form of your father and mother bringing these elements of music and then the literary inspiration. Could you just tell us about that? Well, actually, I had the privilege of the environment where I grew up. When you're young, you don't pay attention. I never thought about my mother being a teacher of literature and being a, a writer, a poet. Uh, for me, it, it was my mother, you know. It took me a long time to understand the privilege that I got, that I had so many people around me when I was young and famous, but I was not uh, aware of, of that. Poets like uh, Ari Duchens, one of our biggest poets from the, the 20th century, he was incredible writing lyrics for uh, so many songs uh, in Portugal. And sometimes he was there with my mother talking, but I was not uh, aware of, of that. In the early days when I was started playing, I was really into modern jazz that was very instrumental. So I didn't really pay attention about the lyrics and it, it took me a while to be interested about Portuguese music and that mixture I do in my projects with jazz and fado music and the Portuguese popular music. And then I was into the, the importance of a good poem. And now what moves me most of the time, it's that mixture of cultures and trying to do something that you cannot find in other countries. Because if you are into a lot of American jazz, for instance, you can and play great, but you are always playing music that started elsewhere. And for a, an European, for me, there's a good challenge to take what makes you different. What sound can you try to bring that you cannot hear in France or in Japan or in New York? 
hard, but it's a very difficult challenge, actually, because you try to get really into your heart and your emotion. And I think Portugal has a lot of good emotions in popular music that you don't find a lot. It's, and that's a big challenge. So now, today, it's what moves me. And the music I do, it's always with that nostalgic ambience that so that thing, it's not always sadness. People sometimes confuse our so that with sadness, that it, it's not sadness. It's a melancholic approach that it's very hard to put on words. You need to feel it. And I think it's important to point out that jazz belongs to everyone. I mean, it may have its origins partially with African rhythms, you know, their elements of European and American, and that each in the performing and the listening, it changes as it travels. So jazz has no boundaries. So what for you, if you could describe jazz, what's the essence of jazz and why it speaks to you? Yeah, jazz is it's a hard question because to do it with your instruments, it's easy. To explain it sometimes, it can be very subjective, can be very polemic. When I think about jazz, I think about, basically, I think about the freedom of doing what you feel. But there's always this common ground that you need. It's like a language. If you want to, you can speak perfect French because you study a lot of the vocabulary, the, the, the grammar. You can be extremely it. You can have a big knowledge about the essence of the language, but then you start to speak with a Frenchman and he would say, you're not a French because you have an accent. You know all the basics, the vocabulary, the phrase constructing, but, but you are not really a French. So to be a jazz musician, it's like to speak a, a, a language and you need to do, of course, always with some kind of freedom, but you need to do some checkpoints that other jazz musicians will recognize. So it's basically freedom in music, but with some kind of particular spots because it could be excellent improvisation, but maybe it's not really jazz. So people have different opinions, but for me, it's very important to, to look at it like it's a language. Universal, of course, because jazz is everywhere. And it's it was influenced, as you said, in Africa with the rhythm, most in Europe with the harmonic approach, with the classical influence. And so it's a big mix of different things. I guess you speaking of that spirit of freedom, uh, a bit of the sadness or the coolness, I always think of cool as well when I think of jazz or an interpretation of others, but one that you have the rights to share that kind of shares that quintessence of jazz and freedom. And, you know, you hear it and you're home. Yeah, I mean, if I speak about music that I do, some my projects, always try to get all those elements there. But, but always with that Portuguese flavor that I was talking earlier. And that's that nostalgic, can be happy sometimes, can be sad, but it's not tragic at all. But it's very deep and very emotional. And that's what I'm looking for in, in the music. Today, I, I'm much more into the deepness of the, the feeling that I always think about Charlie Hayden, for instance. He doesn't need to do 1,000 notes. He, he do one note, but so powerful and so meaningful that everything is there already. And for me, it's like an artist that starts to paint a lot of things. And then with time, it's the, the line that defines everything. I, I, I'm thinking exactly about this particular melody that it's in one of my records. It's one record that I did like two years ago. It's called, and it's a record record where it's kind of a dialogue between an incredible Portuguese guitar musician called Carlos Paredes, and it was kind of a revolution in the Portuguese guitar when he starts to do his own music. 
And so this record pretends to be a kind of a dialogue with him. And we took some parts of melodies that he composed, and we kind of took those small parts of melodies and we developed the rest of the idea as it was a dialogue. And so that theme, that tune that I'm thinking about called Antonio Madineiro, it's excellent to represent that melancholia and that feeling that I was talking about. I can name another song. It's called Verdes Anos. It was a piece that he wrote for a, a movie in the 60s. And we did our own approach, making that kind of dialogue. And those two pieces, I think, represent a lot of emotion that you find a lot in Fado music, for instance. People that hear Fado, sometimes they don't understand the lyric, but they are touched with a deep emotion. And I, I have the example yesterday. I, I am in Bogota. Last night we did a concert for almost 800 people that don't understand the Portuguese. And the, the, the people are really amazed with that emotion that Fado has. And when I start to play Fado music also, that was the moment where there was kind of a click and I tried to mix those elements in jazz music. And that was for me, that was the trigger to start in that direction. And that's what I've been doing the last few years, basically. And Fado, for those who don't know, as you say, it shares that melancholy, that deep reflection that jazz has. And I understand it's independently, you know, evolved these two disciplines, and then you bring them together in a kind of dialogue. That's so interesting. I understand it's inspired by the sea as well. Maybe you could also talk about how Portugal has inspired you as its landscape and its history and the sea. Yeah, people tell everybody says that Fado has a lot to do 
with that melancholia that was typical from the sailors that uh, went away to the world some 400 years ago. And that kind of nostalgia from the long absence. And so the families would stay without their husbands and uh, kids and the sons. And I, I found it's very interesting because Fado, in a way, has a lot of things that I, I find also in the blues that then inspired the jazz musicians. But the, the essence of the blues, it's really the emotion there. Because musically, you have that kind of simplicity. If you go to an analysis, Fado and blues are not about very hard and complex harmonies and difficult melody. No, it's exactly the opposite. It's about the simplicity and you go really to the earth, to the simplest approach. But then what's deep inside and you need to discover it because it's hide from the obvious. That sadness, you know, with the slaves, there was these families that were separate. There was big tragedies happening all the time. And you find it in that Creole music. You find also big connections in those emotional approaches. And for me, that's very interesting and very challenging because it's so delicate that if you don't pay attention and you are not very respectful about what you are dealing with, you might go in the wrong direction. So it's really like a delicate surgery that you need to work with the maximum care. It's so interesting how music becomes those traditions, but I think all music, it becomes a way of dealing with the tragedy of life and building uh, hope and resilience, you know, to overcome that and to say, you know, there's a line of continuity, even though we have our losses. And tell me about that line of continuity. And you mentioned your father. Just give us a bit of background. Uh, yeah, yeah he, he had uh, actually in Portugal a big role because he was one of the first jazz musicians in Portugal. And it was a very small group of university students. But with that common passion about the jazz, and they started the, the hot club in the beginning of the 50s. And the, the passion they had for the music was there all their life. And it was an incredible example. They were very generous because for them, the mission was to spread jazz and try to get jazz to people. And so they started the hot club. And then a few years later, they started the, the, the jazz school at the hot club. And then you had generations and generations of uh, musicians that started to get into jazz. So many excellent musicians that you, you have in Portugal now, you know, like 20, 30 years ago, we were like 10 or 15 musicians. Now it's like incredible, the amount of excellent musicians, really young kids playing beautifully. And so it was a long process. Portugal, it's a very small country and in a way, very, very far away from the center of Europe where things were happening in Paris or in Berlin. You know, the center of Europe was rich in uh, things happening all the time. But Portugal back then was really far away, you know. And so it was almost a miracle that suddenly you have some jazz amateur musicians that learn by listening to radio, basically. There was no records, there was no nothing. So it was incredible actually. And I think it's also sometimes it can be a struggle to get started when you're not at the center of where those traditions of jazz are being performed. But it also that you when you talk about jazz is freedom, when you're away from that, and you're not being told when there's so many academies been set up or Juilliard or all this, you can kind of experiment and find your own way. 
and no one tells you they're the rules and so you can break them. That's an excellent thing you, you are saying. It's really interesting because then it's so natural that uh, the, 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 the freedom that we, we are always talking, it's obviously there. And in, in our day, of course, schools are really important. It's impossible to deny the importance of jazz academies. It's, it are there for the young kids. But we never should forget that there's a small part or a big part of our life that should always be free of people telling you, no, do that like that, because that will create lots of very good musicians in a way but not so creative. So the balance, it's for me, it's really hard to get. When you are told about almost everything in music, then you lose our ability to go and struggle and try to do what you feel. And that's the big challenge today. Yeah, and with your band members, you're playing. It's the essence of play. And so you're still in the garden of music and it's like a playground and where you're free to invent. I think it's always the interesting stuff often happens from the fringes and and then it can become mainstream in some way. I mean, I interviewed Edmar Castaneda, who's the jazz harpist, and I didn't even know that jazz jazz and the harp but that uh, uh, yeah, the harp yeah. is what the angels play no and so but he's exactly yeah he's from uh, colombia so you know so they bring oh, in something new yeah incredible so i love this evolution because you can't be so fixed recently we three are here in bogota play with fado singer called cristina branco and so we are here together but this trio is called soul South in, in English, stool. And it's exactly what I was talking about. It's a bass, piano, and Portuguese guitar. And uh, it's a record where we do original music from the three of us and, and also some really old traditional fados. And we bring this mix of different influences. Thank you. 
And so for me, I'm very proud of that, that record because it shows a, a particular instrument because Portuguese guitar for 100 years was used to, to play fado and support to the, the fado singer, you know, to give, the, to give the instrument the harmonic approach, the rhythmic approach. I think that there's one called Maria. I think it's Promessas. Tell me the inspiration behind it. Yeah, the inspiration was to take that specific universe from the, the Portuguese and try to respect that powerful and deep sound of that instrument, but trying to get him to in a different context. So that was the main motivation, you know, and then try to blend three instruments that are not obvious. For instance, piano and the guitar. It's a big challenge to, to get that uh, symbiosis, that uh, blending. It's uh, really challenging because uh, the register of the two instruments are demanding and very particular. And so nobody did it for almost one century. So that was one of the big challenges was to try to get a, a new sound. And that's the father sound always, you know. But for us, it was almost like a sacrilege to put the piano and then try to create a different sound. And in a way, for us, for the last 10 years, it's been the challenge to create. And uh, the three of us, we are so connected now that uh, we decided to do that record to try to, to really go into challenging new territories. Yes, I can see there's always that um, risk of breaking the intimacy or the ancient harmonies that you're touching upon. I'm wondering, as you're playing your music that accompanies cinema, so that's that visual storytelling and, you know, filling in the, the empty spaces, the transitions between scenes. I wonder what you imagine or see. Do you see colors or what other senses are livened in you when you're composing music, performing music, as you go into that inner creative space, that inner world? Yeah, that's, that's really interesting because most of the time people tell me that when they listen to some of that music, they create really like stories, images in their heads. So it's very cinetic for me, but like in a dream, I deal with the emotion. If I feel the emotion, I just follow that link. But afterwards, sometimes I do think, well, yeah, this could be a, a soundtrack in a movie. We had uh, Dickie Landry. Uh, I don't even know if he calls himself a jazz musician, but he improvises for hours, like, you know, oh. different. Every yeah, it's time. kind of an hypnotic uh, yeah, state it's of a mind. Trance. Yeah, exactly. I, no, Sue, I'm wondering what your experiences of improvisation and how does that come into play? Because that's mysterious to me. Yeah, for me too, you know, it's very hard to put in words what is happening. Very hard because... And it's very hard to understand why sometimes it works really well and sometimes it doesn't work so well. And it's the same musicians and the same quality, the same, but it's not like you are sure about the results. You are never sure about the results. And in a way, that's a good thing because if you knew always the results, the magic would be gone. So that's probably, it's what makes musicians be there all the time because you are seeking the nirvana basically but you know that most of the time you are not there but you know that sometimes with a big fortune you will be there and so you work all the time to that specific moment that you feel it and it's a kind of an addition 
You know, if you feel the addition, then you are hooked forever and always trying to get the same. But knowing that 99% of the time, you're not going to do it 100%. It keeps you chasing it. I think in our minds as artists, we have this idea of maybe somewhere out there is the ideal piece of music or story or image. And then we exactly. go for it. And then we try, we get close and then it goes. It goes it exactly. We're always trying to purchase it. But, and uh, me, after almost 40 years of uh, music in my life, I did really different kinds of jazz, you know, the mainstream jazz, the total free jazz, the music I do now, it's a compromise of uh, lots of things. And so I consider myself a very versatile musician. I, I love to do the different scenarios. And in all of them, I know that it's the challenge of the day to try to go deep in your concentration so that you are be able to, with a really fortunate day, to get a little bit of that sensation. And that's what, it's the food that keeps you alive and makes you move on. So each performance, of course, is different and you are playing with not just your fellow band members, but also you're playing against the audience and having that live reception and their energy and I guess bringing it further there is even an atmosphere of cities and countries and they have their own rhythms and you must hear it in different places I don't know how much you feel inspired by your travels or from different places add something to the soundscape of you tuning into them and then you're tuning into your own music how does that work for you always has a, a little of, uh, you know, if you are interested in discovering new things, it's always challenging and uh, a good pretext when you go to a different country. Sometimes it's you discover a musician that you didn't know, and then you would start to, to follow a little bit of uh, what he's doing. Sometimes it's small things that can have big results after a while, you know, and the, not the culture of the country. For me, it's more the the particular thing that uh, I might know someone very interesting that uh, showed me a, a beautiful project, you know, that I didn't know. And so that curiosity, it's very healthy to be open. That's really a privilege when you travel so much. You need to give everything you have. And then you have this audience that also feeds you, you know. And an audience has that really big importance in, the, in your performance also, because it's, it's a kind of trading, energy trading. You give, but you receive a lot also. And so and, uh, history of jazz, I mean, in its origins, it's, as you say, it's a sense of freedom, a sense of freedom for maybe those who were performing it, who are, you know, oppressed communities, oppressed peoples. It's definitely to social movements. It was uh, sometimes ways of feeding communities in these informal performances. And today, you know, with all the oppression and conflict, what do you see is the importance of jazz? Jazz is a philosophy, jazz is a social movement, jazz is a way of raising the voices of the oppressed. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's always uh, something that you can, like a big flag that you can hold and, and trying to show the world that if people pay more attention to the things that the human being has to give and music has that power. Of course, it's true that with our society, I'm, sometimes I'm afraid that people forgot about some parts of the mission to not give up about the things that really matter. And sometimes I'm afraid that uh, the human being is losing the ability 
of not giving up. And artists are, are doing what they can, but sometimes there's this uh, big pressure. Society today is so disconnected about uh, the artists because people are really like almost ties. They are losing the ability of thinking. And so sometimes I feel that artists are like doing this on the door and nobody answers. So it's very true. And so music, as we know, it's a unifying force. It's a form of deep listening, harmonizing, connecting with people from different backgrounds and countries who speak different languages. And I think in this age of social media and AI, when we're pushed into these little bubbles where we're not communicating and we've forgotten, it seems, how to listen, what for you is the importance of music in this digital age with all the new technologies? And what can music do that can't be replaced by AI? You know, the live music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. We cannot and we should not never lose our ability to feel deep and profound emotions, not superficial. Sometimes what I feel, that's, it's like most of the time music, it's getting even more superficial and uh, it's too quick conception. And 10 minutes later, you don't even remember what you were listening to. And uh, that's the challenge, that good life performing. My hope is that the audience is not going to fade away because they are so hypnotized about the superficial. That's the big challenge for me. It's to recover that uh, ability to fight against. That's why we need uh, good artists as yourself and <laughs> teachers such as uh, your father and mother and and who are also artists in, in their respective fields. And so just in closing, as you think about the importance of arts, what they've given to you and your family and what would you like young people to know, preserve, and remember? Yeah, I, I would love that young people understand that the art is one of the things that makes you a human and not a robot. That's the difference. And if we could pass that message that what makes us human beings, it's exactly our ability to feel. We need to do it in the schools. And the, the, the teacher should be the most important person in the world right now. Good teachers to pass that message to young people. They need to focus on the important things to get that concentration capacity. If we lose the concentration capacity, then we are becoming robots. And so for me, the challenge, it's really in the really young people and with teachers telling them the importance of paying attention for the important things, you know, definitely. Well, that's so true. And the road is long, but anything that is worthwhile takes time to get there. So we have to be patient to take that time and we'll uh, be rewarded. Definitely. Beautiful art. So thank you, Bernardo Moreira, for sharing what makes us human, opening our minds to the possibility and intensity of jazz and fado music, sharing your insights on the dialogue between jazz and literature at the five senses, the importance of the arts that allows us to reflect on our times and bring about social change. Thank you for adding your voice to the creative process. Mia, yeah, thank you very much. The Creative Process Podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. This interview was conducted by Mia Funk with the participation of collaborating universities and students. Associate interviews producers on this episode were Katie Foster and Donna Sanders. The Creative Process is produced by Mia Funk. Additional production support by Sophie Garnier. 
If you'd like to get involved with our creative community, exhibitions, podcasts, or submit your creative works for review, just drop us a line at team at creativeprocess.info. Thanks for listening.